From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. We are wrapping up our In Her Boots podcast series with a special bonus episode with Rachel Armstrong of Farm Commons, continuing our conversation of identifying and managing human risks on specialty crop farms. Today we talk about something near and dear to women farmers' hearts, diversification. Learn about the legal aspects of managing your farm and employment risks when it comes to value-added products. Rachel is the founder and executive director of Farm Commons a nonprofit organization that exists to empower farmers to understand and create their own solutions to business law challenges in an ecosystem of support. She strives to make farm law approachable and relevant to every farmer. Today we're wrapping up our In Her Boots podcast series with Rachel Armstrong of Farm Commons continuing because we could we could keep talking about this, I know, and I want folks to go to the Farm Commons website and download all of the great free toolkits you have there. And there are things you need to really sit down and read, right? Good winter activities, right? In the sense of we don't want to be making decisions spur of the minute or in the moment or when crises hits. Your goal is to help farmers educate ourselves so we're not in those pickles, right? Absolutely. Ideally, ideally. And some of these topics I know are not what farmers like to mull on as far as uh, the, the nitty gritties of the law or the employment law or things like that. But it's interesting because when we talk about diversification, which women farmers are definitely uh, into, it's, it's an area we thrive on, right, of modeling mother nature and having a lot of different things going on. It's something we as pure business owners, right, as pure entrepreneurs need to take the time to educate ourselves on what does that mean from a legal perspective, from an insurance perspective, et cetera, et cetera. And the the real takeaway that I always learned from you is that just because you're on a farm doesn't mean everything related to food or under that bigger food umbrella is covered, Mm -hmm. right? And can you talk a little bit more about that? Because like specialty farms, where, where, where does... Where does farm stop and other begin? Right, right. It's a really important question. The nature of producing fruits and vegetables is this is a perishable crop. Uh, Sometimes it's not all going to sell. You know, farmer's market customers have enough choice. The CSA customers don't want any more of it. Or, you know, whatever the case may be, you've got this stuff. uh, And if you're trying to build in other revenue streams, you're trying to take advantage of the resources and abundance that you have, you want to try to add value to those products. So you look at other things that you can do. Can you freeze them, turn them into jam? Can you even just have, you know, a one-time party or festival that uses a bunch of this stuff, make some pies, sell slices of pies? We all know people love prepared products, you know, they don't want to have to go pie. I love pie. And a pie, a slice of pie you give me is, is, you know, brings me lots of, lots of happiness as opposed to having to go home and prepare it myself. 
So there's a lot of opportunity to add value to those things, but that also comes with employment law risks. Many farms are taking advantage of exceptions from the usual employment laws because they are a farm. So not Wisconsin, but many um, states offer a lower minimum wage or the opportunity to not pay the minimum wage at all for farm work. Um, every, almost, I can't think of a state I have come across yet that doesn't have a farm exemption from unemployment insurance slash tax. So there's the payroll tax aspect where it's reduced. Workers' compensation. Many farms have Mm, uh, they have to be a much larger business before they're ever going to have to provide workers' compensation to their employees. When a farm starts adding value or processing product or hosting educational events or classes or pizza night or food service or anything, all those exceptions go away. You're not farming anymore. You are now doing a commercial venture. You're doing food service. Um, you're doing processing and regular farm laws apply. Now, a lot of farmers don't realize this at all. They don't realize that they have been taking advantage of exceptions from farm law. Like if you, if you use a payroll provider and they know that you're a farm, you don't, even, you don't have to know you're not paying into the unemployment insurance sure. system. It's just part of the process. Once you start doing things that aren't farming, like, you know, start taking, you know, doing a little preschool venture or yoga or anything, all that changes. You're now a normal normal business, and if you use a payroll provider, you have to make sure that they know and that you're following those processes. If you do your own payroll, um, you have to make those changes within your system, and there is a lot of research that goes into that. If you do your own payroll, you've already figured out you know, what are the thresholds for when you have to pay into, into these systems, and then you have to do it again for the non-farm business. Then you have to ask yourself, well, okay, how much non-farm work can I do in a work week before, you know, all of a sudden I have to follow these other rules? You have to think about, am I going to have only one employee do the non-farm stuff so that I can preserve my exemptions for the other employees? It does get complicated. The one thing I can say is if if people's heads are hurting, they're like, no, no, you know, don't make me do this analysis for my employees. Well, the easy way out is to just follow non-farm rules all the time. Oh, then you sure, can do whatever sure. you want and you don't have to worry about it. Sometimes the economics of the labor market drive you to do that anyways. You know, sometimes when I start talking about whether or not minimum wage is required, people will say, Rachel, who cares? You ain't going to get quality help if you're not paying at least the minimum wage. Yeah. So of course I am. So that's just another way to think about your business model. If you, you know, if you're still in the planning stages, you can think, look, I'm going to try to comply with every usual normal employment law that's out there right from the start so that I'm preserving the flexibility of my business to do this or that. And I know that I'm just going to be aiming for a, a more upper echelon level of the market, you know, than the, the inexperienced intern that also wants education or, you know, the, the retiree that also wants to volunteer or something like that. And that's just a business model decision that, that, that um, only the individual can, can make for their own enterprise, their own tolerance for paperwork, um, yeah, other factors like that. But important, though, to think about, especially, it, it, how can I phrase it? It's a lot of, when somebody's starting out, Obviously, they'll just have a couple employees if that, when that time even happens. Mm -hmm. So do you find people feel like it's just a lot when 
you're creating something that will grow with time. Do you know what I mean? Like it's still the amount of work kind of with one employee versus 10. I mean, I'm oversimplifying, but you know what I'm saying? It just, it's that, that first push that you're helping people do correctly because it's easy to be like, well, it's just one, right? Oh, it's just two, or this is too much. I really hear the concern of people like, I'm just experimenting. I'm not building a 10-year business plan. I'm not sure I want to do this. You know, I'm just going to put some feelers out. I'm going to see if there's a market, a demand for this. I'm going to see if I like doing it. I'm going to see if I can recruit good help. I absolutely hear that. And that's where we just go back to risk management. Can you have a volunteer to help you see if you really want to do yoga on the farm or if you want to, you know, add value to your specialty crops? Absolutely. Understand what the risk might be if that person then complains or, you know, God forbid, files, you know, a wage claim against you or in the more likely case, if they get injured. So think about, again, which risks are likely to happen or unlikely to happen and how bad is it going to be if they do, and then do what's right for you. What helps you sleep at night and make the most efficient uses of use of your resources? And is this where too, it wouldn't be so much, I realize like farm staff, but the example you just gave of yoga on the farm or I've known uh, farmers who host a, oh, a women's wellness mm-hmm. afternoon. And yes, there's a yoga class or there might be a class on herbs and they bring in, so they're the farm hosting and would arguably have the insurance, et cetera, for a agritourism like event, you know, event outside right. of the farm world. But they brought in people as independent contractors, you know, or somebody mm-hmm. who is licensed or a yoga teacher to come and right. do that. That would be a cleaner path, arguably, right? I mean, as far as it's separate from what we're talking about with employee law. Absolutely. So that statement I made, if someone does the work of a for-profit farm, they're very likely an employee. The other option is independent contractor. And you, you, you brought, you gave a perfect example. You, you're hosting an event on your farm and you want someone else to lead the yoga, you know, um, or host the, the, the children's aspect of the event or something like that. That's likely to be an, a, a valid independent contractor scenario. Um, and you can, you know, in our state-specific guides, because you, you, you have to verify for yourself that you are meeting the criteria for an independent contractor relationship, which vary by state and sometimes vary by the agency that, um, that is of concern um, sure. for this. So, um, so yes, independent contractor classifications are totally an option. Just do a little research beforehand and make sure that you're either complying with the law's definition of an independent contractor or you are prepared to accept the risks of not. <laughs> Fair enough. But to independent contractors, the, the example I gave you, a yoga teacher is probably an easy example. They mm-hmm. teach yoga in different places exactly. and this is what they do. Farm labor, harvesting help, probably wouldn't fall under independent contractors. I mean, that, that would be a much... It's highly unlikely. Highly unlikely, yeah. Highly yeah. unlikely. Unless there is... Uh, um, you know, an entrepreneur out there that is launching, you know, um, Betty's weeding service and they travel That sounds around. like a great idea. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know who in the right mind would do that, but that would be hired but quickly. Maybe, and maybe they buy all the coolest, fanciest new flame weeders and cultivated tractors. And all they do is travel around weeding people's. Yeah. You, but you it's know, a make, good example. That would but, be, yeah. it's almost a service. Like if you hire exactly. a shearer to come to your farm and shears are another great example. It's a yeah. transaction, but mm-hmm. um, they are independent. You're independent. That does put a good lens on it, though, of options that keep things simple and clean. Yeah. Um, because, uh, yeah, you've got to 
know what you're doing when you put the feet into the employment world. But, uh, mm-hmm. but on the flip side, I think it, 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 like we've been talking about in other episodes, it inherently relates to the bigger picture that we're all working on of improving our food system, increasing public, I was going to say perception, but it's beyond perception. It's action yeah. on what yeah. it costs to produce quality food and respect labor. Right. It made me a little nervous too when you've talked about things like all of these exemptions under the ag world that in some states you don't have to pay minimum wage and things. There's still so many channels for exploitation right. in our farming system that granted uh, on our happy, sustainable ag island, you know, we, we, we are not as close to fortunately, but it still exists. So rampantly right. probably that there's a lot that uh, a lot a lot of good fights still to happen right. in the legal world when it comes to agricultural workers right. and employment and all of those things that just people don't realize yeah when they shop yeah yeah and so we do these workshops you know around the country on farm employment law and sometimes i will be approached afterwards by people who were interns on farms and who will say i am now just having a new perspective on whether or not I was taken advantage of, and the real dynamics that were going on in the situation I was on. And nine times out of 10, it is a woman. It's a female. And the boss was a man. And these, you know, we're not responsible for these dynamics, these gender dynamics and these power relationships that have um, persisted in our society for forever. But they are real. And they do exist. And our farming community is a part of that as well. And I think that we also should be having an honest conversation with ourselves of what what really does go on sometimes when um, young women, retired women, any woman goes out to figure out how she's going to enter what has conventionally, traditionally been a man's world and the power dynamics that are present there and how we are are not working to resolve that. Oh, that's huge, Rachel. We'll, we'll, we'll get you back and do a whole other series on that alone right. because that's, yeah, that's the, the bigger issues we need to have on mm-hmm. our agenda. But in the meantime, thank you for helping us navigate the details and the other more issues on the the regulations and the laws and the the managing risk side and all the good work of Farm Commons. Thank you. It's been so much fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, MOSES. The mission of MOSES is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on MOSES, In Her Boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.